Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Tori and Sarah Hader. At 38 plus 6, Tori began laboring at home. However, support was needed to progress labor, and after arriving at the hospital, she began a midwife-led Pitocin induction. About eight hours of epidural-free laboring later, her wife, Sarah, helped her midwife catch their daughter. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Tori. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Um, so Sarah and I have been married for about three and a half years. We live in San Antonio. We are the proud parents of our sweet baby girl, Atlas, who's eight months old, and our three dogs. Um, I am an athletic trainer, and Sarah is an orchestra teacher. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Um, So, of course, we weren't going to have any surprise babies. Um, We started planning, I would say, about a year before we thought we were going to have Atlas um, and started with all the preliminary testing that they do at the reproductive endocrinologist's office and you know, sorting out who's going to be the sperm donor. And we decided on an open but anonymous donor from a sperm bank. Um, It's easier logistically. And um, there's just a lot of like lawyer loopholes you have to jump through if you use someone you know um, to ensure that the rights are secured for Sarah as um, our daughter's other parent. And so we wanted to make sure we did everything we could to make that easy for us. Um, And then we did um, IUIs at a fertility clinic, um, to make her, it took four cycles, but two IUIs to make her. Um, so we didn't struggle a lot, but it's still, when you're actually trying, I feel like it's just so much more daunting every month when it doesn't work or you miss the cycle for some other reason, because one, we're spending money on it, but also, you know, that you're doing it and it's just taxing. So, you know, I get it. If you're dealing with infertility, I get it because it's so hard. Um, but we made it quickly, which was good. My The RE would always just say, you only need one. You're young enough. We only need one. It's fine. <laughs> and she was always super positive. Um, I love her so much. But we finally got pregnant and it was uneventful. Um, I had pretty bad heartburn. But other than that, it was cake compared to some people. I loved being pregnant. I loved every minute of it. No morning sickness, nothing. I just had heartburn. And then um, I had hypothyroidism, which I think more got picked up because I was at the RE's office and less because it was legitimate, I guess. But I took the medication for it and it was fine. And it dissipated as soon as I was finished being pregnant. Um, We also had like a grand plan on how this was going to go out. I started that before we had at before we even started about making Atlas because I'm a planner. That's how I do things. But I knew that I wanted an unmedicated birth and I really wanted a midwife. And if I'd had my choice, we would have had the baby at the house. But my wife (laughs) is not here for that. And because it was our first baby and with everyone she spoke to, like we know parents who have eight kids and they're like, the first baby, do it where it's safest. Um, and to them, that meant at the hospital. So I found the best of both worlds. I had a fat, I had a midwife group that delivered at a hospital. Um, and then I also had a birth photographer hired. Um, we didn't get to end up using her. Thanks, COVID. But um, we did have one on, on deck for us. Um, and then I read a lot of books. I read Expecting Better. That's probably one of my favorites. I just liked how scientific and technical that um, Emily Oster is. And just, um, I really enjoyed her. I read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. I read The Birth Partner, which we weren't huge fans of more because, I don't know, we're a relationship with two women. So it's kind of, I don't need to be told how to be supportive. Um, (laughs) Because some of the things you're like, well, that's common sense. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't think to do that. But in speaking with my friends who are not married to women, I'm like, oh, I guess you needed to know. And (laughs) But it is a good book. It has a lot of good information. Um, And I also read The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, which, you know, they make it seem like it's just going to come naturally and everything's going to make sense. And that's not always how it works out. So I did actually prep lactation consultants and everything, too. But again, COVID. So um, you'll hear about that later. But I also walked a lot. I did yoga and I did spinning babies. I probably did spinning babies every day because I knew that if this baby was in the perfect position, everything was going to go right. Um, 
And then COVID hit and that really picked up the walking and stuff because then I had all day at home, but we, um, we made it through the 20 week scan and Sarah got to come to that and maybe like maybe one appointment after that. And then it became, I had to go by myself, um, no partners, no kids allowed at the clinic. Um, and then like we were going to take a childbirth class and we ended up taking a free virtual class because that's what was available. Um, and then it was, yeah, just everything online digital world. And then that was it. So then, okay. So that's like March ish is when we got sent home and I was due in July. Um, I had dates for Atlas. I told her, I said, you can't come on the 4th of July. You can't come on our anniversary, which is July 8th. And I was like, well, girl, you know, if you would like to come in June at the end of June, I I support your life plan. But she came in July. Um, but towards the end of pregnancy, I was just, I was over it. We had been stuck in the house for months. Um, everything at the hospital was changing every single day and it was so stressful. And then you think of all the black lives matter stuff that was going on at the time. Like I was so stressed about everything. I had to unplug from Facebook and everything because it was just so much bad news all the time. It was nonstop bad news. And then being stuck in the house, you just have no escape from any of it. And so I just wanted to have this baby. I made it to my 38 week appointment. I told the midwife, I'm not coming back next week. I'm not making an appointment. Like I don't want to make an appointment because I'm not going to be pregnant next week. And she looked at me and she was so nice. And she's like, well, let's just make an appointment just in case. And you know, that day I also was, I wanted a cervical check and I don't know why. I think I just wanted something to tell me something about really nothing. I could have been dilated. I, probably wasn't, but I could have been, but she talked me off the ledge and was like, you know, it's fine. She'll come when she wants. Like, don't stress about it. You know, it is what it is. Everything will be fine. And I was like, okay. So I made this stinking appointment for the 39 week day. Um, it was the day I turned 39 weeks at like nine 30, I think. And I was like, I'm not coming. So I make this appointment, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then I went home. And then, of course, I was like, okay, so what can I do to make this come along? Because I don't want to be pregnant in August. Like, we've got to be finished with this before then because, you know, I knew we were going to go back to school. I didn't know when. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And while I had planned for time off, I I like to plan. So I wanted to know <laughs> that she was going to be here already. And so Sarah was like, oh, well, if you just, maybe you should try the castor oil and see what happens. And I was like, okay. And I simmered on it for a while. And finally I was like, all right. I mean, what do we have to lose? And it was like two days. I think it was, we had her on Friday. So it had to be Wednesday, maybe Thursday that I took this. It was Wednesday. I took the castor oil and I was like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Well, thankfully nothing bad happened, <laughs> but the, I woke up Thursday morning like super early. I remember being kind of restless that night and just not sleeping as heavily. Like I'm a deep sleeper. I sleep with the dead every night and I did my entire pregnancy, no issues with sleeping. So I, um, so being restless for me was kind of like, why am I awake? Um, and at 3am, you know, your eyes just kind of pop open, like something's wrong. And <laughs> my eyes popped open and I was like, uh Oh, I have to get out of this bed because I don't know what's happening, but I, I need to get out of this bed. So I'm like shimming out of bed, my legs closed, just as tight as I could get them. And, you know, bowling ball on your front, trying to slide out of a bed. And I wiggle, wiggle myself out and waddle to the bathroom because of course I'm penguin walking, trying to keep my legs closed. I get to the bathroom and sure enough, just like the movies, here comes all of my amniotic fluid. It's just everywhere. And I was like, oh, well, fun. It's, you know, 3 a.m. and I'm trying to be quiet because I didn't want to wake the dogs up and I didn't want to wake up Sarah because, I mean, I guess no one would really care, but I felt like she needed to, to rest because everyone told me I needed to rest. So I guess she needed to rest too. Um, so I get that all cleaned up and put on my depends because I was prepared. I did a load of laundry because, well, I had to have everything cleaned up properly because if we're bringing this baby home, I don't want to have to do laundry the day that I show up. 
Um, so I did laundry and then I woke up Sarah and I told her, I said, you're going to be a mom soon. And then I just laid back down and went back to sleep because that's what I was told to do. Continue to rest. So I slept until, I don't know, like seven because I hadn't had any contractions, nothing that notable. So I went back to sleep till seven, which was our walking time because we live in South Texas. It's hot. If you don't walk before nine o'clock, you're not walking. Um, because it's so hot outside. And so we got up, we walked anyway. I think I made it a mile and I was just tired and we did some curb walking and then I came back in the house, still no contractions. And so I was doing, I'd started doing spinning babies to see if all these lunges and squats would do the trick. It did not. Then I bounced on the yoga ball and I waited and still nothing, like nothing notable. I remember having I don't know, maybe a contraction or two, but nothing that was like, that's a contraction. It was more like, huh, I think maybe, but nothing serious. And so I pumped for a while. We called the birth photographer because she was going to come to the house and kind of just take pictures of us at home because she couldn't go to the hospital. Um, And so call her and she comes and we call our friends who are going to come watch our dogs because they were able to quarantine like us because they're educators as well. And so they could come sit with our dogs and they came and I had 12 hours. So my water broke at 3 a.m. And I was going to wait until at least then to go to the hospital because my wife was not going to let me wait. Not a minute longer than that. Um, So we got, we got everybody settled and I baked some cookies. I'd made these rainbow cookies because I was, um, I just, I don't know. They were over the top. They took a long time. And so, you know, you're trying to color all the dough. I knew that it would be a good time waster. And so I had, I had a plan for what I was doing this day and I made these cookies. They were rainbow chocolate chip cookies for Atlas because she can't come into the super gay world and life we live without her rainbow cookies. And so I made her rainbow cookies and I was like, okay, well, nothing is happening. Like, what are we going to do? And so at about three, we finally were like, okay, well, let's just go on to the hospital because how long really? Like I could have waited a day, but then they would have been very furious at the hospital because I had waited so long and then antibiotics and all of these things. And I just didn't wait that long. So we go three o'clock, we get there, check in. My nurse's name was Ashley. I don't know why I remember everybody's name, but I remember them all. And so Ashley checked me in and no one talks about how awful cervical checks are, especially when you're not really dilated, but they're not, they're very invasive feeling. Um, So I'm actually glad that my midwife talked me down from the day that I wanted the cervical check just because, um, because I I, I didn't want the one I got. So (laughs) I I got my cervical check. I was 90% effaced. Um, I was one to two centimeters dilated and I was at a negative one station. So it took four nurses to get my IV started. Because of course I knew I was getting Pitocin when I arrived. I, I knew what the deal was going to be. So four nurses, I, my arms were black and blue. I'll have to send you pictures of how crazy my arms looked because it was just like, what are we doing? And they were trying so hard, which I appreciate to make sure that it was in a place where I could be successful with a natural birth. Um, they wanted me to be able to be able to move my wrists well. And so they didn't want to stick it in my hand and they found a spot on my arm finally, but four nurses later. Um, we get checked into our room. My midwife came by to just visit and she was like, you know, order some dinner, going to start the Pitocin, but you know, hang out. Like how bad could it be? So things really started going around seven. So I got there at three, four hours later, we're really getting things going. I'd gotten my COVID test, which at the time was the kind that goes to your brain because they were not doing the quick nasal swabs that they're doing now or the mouth swabs they're doing now. Um, no, none of that. got the awful, Full PPE. Another thing that didn't make sense at the hospital, the nurses get in full PPE to do these COVID tests. But before that, they were just wearing a mask. And after that, they were just wearing a mask. And my COVID test results didn't come back for two days. Um, Like I was about to leave. It was the night before we left the hospital that my results came in. And they told us, you know, this is one of the threats. Another bit of stress was if you tested positive when you arrived, you had to labor and birth alone. That was general knowledge that I had been told for at least a month before that. And you keep thinking like, oh, this stuff is going to go away, or at least it's going to get to a place where you can at least be comfortable in the hospital. Because if 
if the only requirement from our birth photographer would have been a COVID test, she would have gotten one like that. It's not that big of a deal. And anyway, they do all this and they, she was, I'm talking full hazmat suit and then came back in just a mask. And I was like, okay, don't know how this is different, but it's fine. And I didn't have to have on a mask when I was in my room. And I never put on a mask pretty much the entire time I was in the hospital because it's my room and I knew that I hadn't been anywhere. So the odds on me having COVID were low and I'm talking, we were getting groceries delivered and everything. So the odds were really low. So when the results finally came in, I was like, yeah, I know. Like, (laughs) that's it. So I eat the dinner after the COVID test and um, I hang out and then I was really like, okay, well, I don't know about this. Like here comes these freight train contractions and I, they started and I don't think they ever stopped and I don't think they ever slowed down or, you know, lost intensity at all. And so I was going from my bed to the restroom and from the restroom back to the bed and bed to the restroom. And I asked for the telemonitors because I wanted to be a busybody and being attached to the monitors the way you have to be when you're on Pitocin, you know, you've got continuous monitoring Um, in the very beginning, I was getting my blood pressure every 20 minutes and I would actually watch the time because there was a timer on the machine. And I was like, Oh, I got to go back because if I miss this blood pressure reading, they're going to come in here and yell at me and I'm not in the mood to get yelled at. And so (laughs) I would run back and get my blood pressure reading and then go back to doing whatever I wanted to do, but did that for a while. And so finally at about 1130, I was uncomfortable and I was finally like, you know, I just need to see where I'm at. And I was, so my midwife came back. Her name's Jenna. Um, she came back and she checked me. She was like, I'll check you. If that's what you want. So four centimeters, a hundred percent of face. And I was at a plus two station. So we were making progress, you know, for three o'clock to 1130. That's not very long, especially for a first time mom. Cool. No problem. So I was eating snacks because she was like, you know, you need to keep your fuel. And so I had snacks. I don't remember. I think I had like these energy bites and I think I had an apple. Um, I don't remember what else I had, but I remember saying I didn't want, there were some stuff in the bag that I didn't want. Um, so I ate some of that stuff and I was just kind of hanging out, but still like freight train, freight train, freight train. Like they were just coming so fast. And at midnight, I finally was like, okay, like I just need a break because I hadn't gotten a break. When the contraction started, they came on full fledged and they never slowed down. And I just wanted a break. So they were like, okay, well, we'll get you some meds. I was like, whatever you got, that's not an epidural. I would like that. And so again, midnight, first time mom, it hasn't been that long. You know, they were like, cool, you can have the narcotic. Cool. Had the narcotic just to take the edge off. I went to sleep um, for a little while. I was back and forth. I was tossing and turning with that too, because the nurse was not very happy with me. She had to keep coming back in to adjust the monitors. And at one point I had been off the monitors for about 20, maybe 30 minutes. And she came in to adjust them. And I was just giving her a death stare about how I was not going to sit still. And I did not care about her stupid monitors and me and the baby are fine. I don't need to be monitored. I really don't care. And I actually told her that, which (laughs) is it's not out of character for me to be honest, but to just tell someone like, I don't care about what you need, like whatever. And so my wife was like, you've got to just, you've got to do this for Atlas. Like Atlas needs to be on the monitors for at least 15 minutes. Like you can do it. And I was like, I don't want to be on the monitors because two, the nurse wanted me to lay on my back because every time I shifted from side to side, Atlas would go to the opposite side. And so she could never catch her on the monitors. And I finally, I complied for a little while and I laid there and that's about when the, the contractions were getting really, really intense. And I was laying there and every time I'd have a contraction, I would say, don't push, don't push, don't push, don't push, don't push. Like telling myself, do not push, do not push at all. And it, they were just so strong. And, you know, the nurse is standing there and she's like, you know, don't push. If you push right now, your cervix will swell and, you know, it'll be more difficult to birth this baby. And I was like, okay. So I'm telling myself, you know, do not push, breathe with contraction. So the nurse is standing there breathing with me. And then when she would take a walk, my Sarah would stand there and breathe with me too. And we would 
breathe. And I would say, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm like, you know, trying to breathe through these contractions. And I guess something changed because Sarah would say, she was like, at some point she was like, are you sure you don't want the midwife to come back? And I remember her asking me more than once if I was sure I didn't want her to come back. And I was like, no. And I looked at the clock and I said, she can come at three o'clock. Three o'clock in the morning, strange, arbitrary time that I had just pulled from the sky. I decided that she could come at three. Turns out I knew more than I thought I knew. My random time was pretty accurate because I was like, three o'clock. She can't come until then. And I don't really know what time I told her three o'clock, but I do remember being like, she can't come until three. And around 2.45 or so, our nurse is in there and I... Uh, Sarah was like, you know, at three o'clock, she wants to be checked. And so she was asking on the monitors on the like walkies, if my midwife Jenna would check her own patients or if she could check me. And I looked at her, like came way out of my zone and looked at her and said, I'll wait for Jenna. Like, you're not touching me. I'm good. I'll wait for Jenna. So you can just go ahead and tell them that because that's what we're doing. And she's coming at three o'clock. You are not. And so at, at three o'clock, here comes Jenna floating in. I, I, I really believe that there was a light cloud around her because when she came in, like she really did look like she was floating to me. And I, she was gliding like she was not walking. She was gliding into the room and she just looked magical to me. And she looked at me and watched me for a little while. And I was doing the don't push thing. I was, you know, taking these deep breaths and saying, don't push, don't push, don't push on the way out so that I would actually not push with this baby. But, you know, my body was pushing and I could feel it because it felt like everything was ejecting this baby. And um, she finally, like she said, well, do you want me to check and see if we can push? Because, you know, we can. And she asked me about like, if I felt like I had to, you know, have a bowel movement. I was like, no, but it feels like her head is coming out and going back in, coming out and going back in. And she was like, okay. And I said, the baby is coming. And she said, if you think the baby is coming, the baby is coming. And so she was like, so would you like me to check you? I was like, yes, but I was having a contraction. So I told her she had to wait. She said, okay. So she stood there with her glove waiting for me to tell her that it was okay. And then she checks me and she goes, oh, you're right. Your baby's head is right there. And I was like, here we go. And then they were like, you know, you can push whenever you're ready. And I was like, okay. And this is at 3.08. So she watched me for about 10 minutes before I finally was like, you can check me. Cool. I was 10 centimeters, 100% of face and plus two stations. So baby is coming. And I pushed a little bit and then I was like, "Mm, nope, I don't want to do that anymore doesn't feel good to me. I think I'll pass. And I sat there for a little while. And then I asked if I really had to push the baby out or if my body would just do it so that I wouldn't have to work that hard because it was not pleasant. And she was like, well, you're going to have to help her, you know, come into the world. Like, I mean, we could probably wait, but we would really prefer if you helped her (laughs) come here. And I said, okay, And so I sat there for a while longer, long enough for my wife to have taken pictures of this crowning baby because I was just sitting there like with my legs kind of to the side and my head propped up. And I was just sitting there waiting, you know, thinking I got to motivate myself to get this baby out because, you know, you've put in so much work, especially without an epidural. You are working nonstop. And I was tired and I really just did not like pushing this baby out. And I pushed one time and I was like, mm, nope, it's burning. I don't like this. Ring of fire is real. No, thank you. I'm going to wait. So I waited. And then finally I was like, okay, we're going to get this done. So I pushed, got her head out. And then the rest of her just plopped out. And at 326, my wife caught our precious baby and set her on my chest. And she was so covered in vernix. And I was so excited because she had a cheesy butt and I wanted pictures of her cheesy butt. And I have pictures of it because I insisted upon this cheesy butt baby having her picture taken. Um, And I really wish my birth photographer had been there to see Sarah catching this baby and handing her to me and me looking at Sarah and just kind of seeing, you know, what that looked like from someone else. Um, That was the whole point of hiring a birth photographer. But COVID stood in the way of that. Um, 
And it really was, I think it was just a month too early. Had I had her in August, the birth photographer, I think would have been allowed by then. It was just strange because one hospital was allowing it and another wasn't. But so Sarah catches my sweet baby and we have our golden hour and they asked me, they let, they asked me if I, they, it's okay if they check her vitals and they checked her vitals on me. And then a lot of time had elapsed evidently because I remember Jenna telling me, Oh, you just need to give a little push and see if this placenta will come. And it did, it flopped out. It feels very mushy and strange compared to a baby. Um, and then we got a tour of the placenta. And so she showed us everything and, Jenna was so excited to put the heart in the umbilical cord so that she, so we could take a picture of it. It like made her day. She was very excited and showed us, you know, Atlas's sack and where she grew versus what was on the outside. And it was super cool. And, you know, I'm glad we have pictures of that because it was exciting. That was fun. And then finally we were going to get a weight on Atlas. And I think she weighed, I don't know, six pounds and 14 ounces. She might've been a little bit smaller than that, but she was 19 and a half inches long. And I remember thinking she's just under seven, which is what I thought she'd be. And, you know, I didn't think I'd make a big baby. I wasn't a big baby. My brother wasn't a big baby. I thought she'd be small and she was. (laughs) And we sat with her and looked at her and, oh, I tore a little bit. And, um, this was only funny because, you know, Jenna is talking about how many stitches she has to do. And, if you don't have an epidural, you get lidocaine shots from hell, which are awful because you can feel everything. And lidocaine was worse than having the baby. Um, <laughs> it was so bad. And she did her stitches and then she felt around and she said she had already told me that she was doing the last one. I was like, OK. And then she's like, well, we have to do one more. And I looked at her and I said, but you already said last one. And we had to do one more. And I I don't know. I. And the healthcare provider shop is like, you know, maybe you'll just apply pressure and it'll stop bleeding. (laughs) And I told her, I said, I know you've probably done this hundreds of times and that that's probably not going to work, but I would like you to try anyway. And she did it. And then I still had to receive a stitch after that, but she did what I asked her to do because I, I was like, you know, just please just apply pressure and see if it'll stop because this little grade one tear, you can apply pressure, be fine. Not fine. I got another stitch. So I ended up getting seven stitches on my little grade one tear. Um, but I think, you know, Jenna was doing her due diligence to make sure everything was perfect, which is why I ended with so many stitches. But that one was funny with being like, you just need to apply pressure. (laughs) telling her how she's going to do her job and she did do it but then she was like you're still getting this stitch I don't know why why you wanted to wait but here we are and I did not take any more lidocaine for that last one so I got to feel her stitch that because I the stitching was not as bad as the lidocaine the lidocaine was awful so I took the stitch um and I did that and we spent I think two days maybe a little like 36 hours in the hospital after that Cause we left Saturday morning. So she's born on the third, not the 4th of July. Um, and on the 4th of July, we went home and she actually had her little headphones on and got to see fireworks while well, she slept through fireworks her first night. Um, but she, we spent time in the hospital and we tried nursing and I thought she was doing it properly, but you know, first time mom, we know nothing. And they weren't the lactation consultants. I think I had one a day come by to try and help me. And they were all like, you're doing a great job. Looks great. Everything looks great. And I was like, you know, knowing if I knew then what I know now, like it does not look great. You, <laughs> you, <laughs> something is wrong and you did not catch it. Um, so we went home and Atlas had lost a little bit of weight by the time we made it to her doctor's appointment, which I think was like the Monday afterwards. And, um, she lost some weight. And so just keep trying, but maybe give her some formula. And I just, was distraught about giving this baby formula as I waited for my milk to come in and trying to do everything I could and, you know, just everything I tried to do. And we ended up having a lactation visit shortly after that appointment. And it was try triple feeding. Okay. Sounds good. That's feed the baby, pump for the baby, baby gets a bottle and repeat for every feeding the entire day and all night. And we tried it for one night, but I was, I think we might've even done it for a couple of days. And I just remember thinking I was so tired and 
just weeping nonstop because the baby is screaming because she's hungry and I'm crying because she's not eating. Um, it was like she would latch and let go, latch and let go. And so it, we just ultimately ended up bottle feeding her um, with formula because then you're on the time clock and that adds more stress because you're like, okay, when am I going to go back to work? And with COVID, it was July. I normally go back to work at the end of July, but I'd plan not to go back until, you know, like August. I ended up getting to stay home with her until uh, after after Labor Day which was nice because we got to choose whether you went ahead and were one of the first groups to work in person or if you were going to stay remote. And at the time there weren't any sports going on. Um, I'm an athletic trainer. So the, there were, there was no volleyball happening at my school. And so I knew we weren't going to have practice or anything. So I was like, okay, well I'll just stay home until I have to go in. But you know, when you're trying to think about nursing and all of that and you only have but six weeks because that's all they want to give you. Um, uh, well, I mean, you could have 12, but I wasn't trying to take all the time off <laughs> because babies still have a million doctor's appointments and everything and how they set up the benefits. You got to have a plan. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll plan to stay home for this long. But the time kept changing. And I was like, that's stressful. Like there was just so much stress. And of course, stress inhibits your body's ability to produce milk. And, you know, you're not able to even do what you're trying to do. So it all ends up the way it's supposed to be. Um, and, and it did work out because we did get to sleep and I didn't have to stress about that. Once I went back to work, it was like that box of formula is going to be there when she's at daycare. <laughs> all I have to do is take this water. Okay, here you go. Like, and it ended well for her outside of feeding her. Everything was pretty good. No one told me that you get all of the stretch marks after the baby comes. No one told me that. I, I wish that y'all would have informed me that <laughs> that all was going to be well and I was going to look fabulous and love it. And then I was going to have the baby and be like, what happened to my body? Like, that's, um, but yeah, I think that's really it. Now, Tori, I think I heard you say that you didn't fight hard enough to nurse. Did you just listen to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Very well. It just feels like, did you do enough? And you think about, just you think about it a lot. And even though you know you're trying, it's like, should I have tried longer? Should I have tried harder? Would that have been worth it? Even if we were all miserable, if she could have had breast milk, would not have been better. No, it wouldn't have been better. But it doesn't mean it doesn't feel like it would have been. Um, but thank you. <laughs> it was hard. And it's hard. As hard as it is to keep trying, it's hard to quit too. And I felt like everyone was giving me an out of saying like, it's fine. But I wanted it so bad. I wanted it so badly. And I don't know why, like, I was a formula-fed baby, and I turned out okay. Like, you know, most of the people my age are formula-fed babies because breast milk just made a resurgence, you know, like, of people actually trying. But, uh, yeah, I just, you think about it so much of just how hard should you try before you're like, okay, this is enough. And I've heard those stories. You hear those stories too when you're listening to birth stories about people who are like, it's just not worth it. Like at some point you have to take. The isolation didn't help anything either. No. I That just compounded the issue, right? Because I think had we been in a place where we were like, yeah, why don't you go talk to someone? Why don't we go here? Why don't we see this? But we weren't. We were staying home. Because everyone was staying home. Doctors weren't seeing anyone. We were doing virtual visits. We didn't have all of our, we had, like I said, one person in our inner circle that was coming and helping and just, but she's just a friend. She's by no means a medical professional that would know any different either. And, and so the isolation certainly didn't help anything because you were just, I mean, we all experienced that part of COVID, just sitting with ourselves, just contemplating life and sitting with ourselves and 
So that plus hormones and, and feeling like you're, you're not doing something right. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. But thankfully a year later <laughs> with the COVID situation anyway, we're, it's better. It's better. But it was hard because I made my list. I did everything they said, you know, make your list of lactation consultants of people that you can see that are in town. Well, we went from everyone being available to just assuming that no one was. And just what's even the point? Like, if you can only do a virtual visit, I don't want it because that's I've been there, done that. And I saw all of the people while we were at the hospital. I saw every time a lactation consultant came, I came. I was like, if they're here, send them by. And we tried and tried and tried. And you're right. I did. I've worked pretty hard. Um, and then just unfortunately, by the time we were able to get a speech pathologist out here to look at her mouth, it was I mean, three at that months point, in. Yeah. She was the better part of three months then. Yeah. And so, yeah, she had a little laser revision, which it sounds horrible. <laughs> she she doesn't know because I got to take her to that. <laughs> I worked for that. I was at work <laughs> during that revision. But I had to do exercises. Weeks of exercises for this baby's mouth. Um, but um, she can stick her tongue out now. I didn't realize that how tight it was in her mouth until now. All she does is stick her tongue out. And so we're like, okay, well, I guess you like it. <laughs> like having your mouth free. But yeah, you're right. If we had it, you know, all the things that you could have done if you could undo all of the COVID restrictions, you can move up your timeline. And one of my friends who she was just like, every, you didn't ask for COVID. You didn't ask for it. You didn't ask for your baby to come during this. And so you've done the best you can. Cause we dealt with a lot of, she in particular dealt with a lot of family guilt about us shutting down visitors right we didn't have visitors we didn't have people we didn't there were a couple of people that had truly isolated and because we're teachers we had teacher friends that were able to isolate um you know her mom couldn't she worked a normal job and at the time her mom was working at a uh Uh, like a it's a healthcare facility um mental health facility mental health so we certainly that just wasn't a safe place at that point and so you know between the family guilt breastfeed there was a lot it was a rough postpartum we didn't not a full like i don't i don't know if it was there there was definitely some postpartum depression going on but but we survived we're okay um it's just yeah all of the factors compounded made it a little tough at the time just because what can you do? And we're just now to the point where Atlas is actually right now having her first sleepover ever at her grandma's house. Um, this is our first night away from this baby since she's been born because COVID and she's ours. And she's ours. Well, and her grandma's now vaccinated too. Yes. So since she did her part, she went and got the vaccine. <laughs> we We were like, okay, she can finally leave our house but yeah that's been it's been good just getting to this point because you can actually start to enjoy your life again because we were shut down from covid well remember we're in texas texas thinks it's over you know and that is true and it is not (laughs) and so it's its own entity it didn't even hit texas what are you talking about (laughs) no not a big deal at all. Everybody's fine. Nothing has changed. We can do whatever we want. I'm sure that the bo- there's a bar in town that has gotten, they got their utilities turned off for violations of COVID, um, like restrictions here. And I'm pretty sure they're like, well, we're doing whatever we want. They're back open, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, this has been, it's nice to be on the other side of it. Um, they're talking about all the COVID babies. I was like, yeah, y'all are making the babies during COVID. But those of us who had these babies during COVID do not feel the same way that you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think the realities of um, how like this, the isolation has impacted families, the, um, the ability to be seen by care providers, the access to care providers, all of that, while we have said... We've been saying 
<laughs> some of these things, it was unveiled even more clear how important that access is, community is. Um, and so, you know, you you work through that. You know, we here say postpartum is forever. So you are on this part of your postpartum journey for sure. Um, and we always say like with birth, with, you know, being parents, you you ebb and flow through it all. Um, and so, you know, as you're continuously working out um, your nursing journey, your feeding journey with, with Atlas, ebb and flow through it. You don't have to um, justify. You don't have to um, have a why as to why you wanted something. You wanted it, plain and simple, and that's all that matters. That's it. You just work through that. It's yours. So, yeah. Um, what I was thinking about was your your birth and how I love when we're able to hear about partners and spouses being able to, you know, be the first hands on our children. Um, and I think many people, especially when they have in-hospital births, don't think that that's an option. And so, Sarah, walk us through catching Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> The the nurse midwife she looked at me. She said, "Do you want to catch her?" And I went, "Uh, yeah, Sienna, yeah, I do." And so, um, I don't. That's really all it was. I just, I don't, I don't know. It was wild. She just came out, and I just grabbed her and threw her on top of Tori. She was like, "She's so slippery." She and was, was so like, slippery. <laughs> it was wild. It was. It's all so surreal. Just and. But because I think because she let her sit there for so long, when she finally got ready to come out, she just came out. It was it was it was not a slow process. When she got ready to come out, she came out. And so it was exciting. And the doctor just stood off to the side and just let me do my thing. Yeah, she did. Yeah, just she just stepped aside and just trusted that it would all be okay. And I think that was the best part. Right. And I think that's the best part about the midwife, because I remember at one point during the birth, like I think while I was sitting there contemplating on how I was going to get this baby out, I was sitting there and the labor and delivery nurse was trying to do something. And I don't know what it was. She was still, she, she was still trying to get a heartbeat down. <laughs> she had, and I, she, she was like way down trying to get a heartbeat. <laughs> but I remember that my midwife looked at her at the nurse and was just like, she's okay. Like essentially shutting down whatever she was trying to do. And she was just like, she's a first time mom. She needs time. She'll, she'll be okay. All of this is fine. Like essentially like leave her alone. Like, yeah, there was no pressure from the midwife. She no. was great. She, she was very patient. Just standing there, just waiting for Tori to do her thing. But yeah, it was, it was all so surreal. Just. Yeah. And it was nice too, because the light stayed dim. Like they never turned the lights on. They just left it the way I had it. And it it got to they stay that They didn't come back to do vitals for mm -hmm. a while. They just let us be. And they asked me if it was okay to take Atlas to get her weight and to clean her off a little bit because of course she was very cheesy. And I was like, I was excited about it. But of course, you know, we... We let them wipe off some of it. I was like, don't wipe off all of it. She needs it. But they got some of it off and weighed her. And she came in at, what, 614, 6 pounds, 14 ounces. And she was 19 inches long. Or she 19 and a half. I, don't I was real tired. She I was, was real really tired. <laughs> I just... It's written down somewhere. Is that awful? It's, it's written down. I don't remember how long she was. I was so tired. I was so excited, so happy, and so tired. So one of the nice things about COVID, I will say, is there was no guilt because we weren't ever going to have other people in the hospital room. Like she wasn't going to let her mom come, whether her mom knows it or not. She Her mom wasn't going to get to come for the delivery. Um, and so one of the the blessings in disguise if you will about COVID is we didn't have to hurt anyone's feelings like now this you can't come I'm sorry we, you can't come there were no feelings that were hurt because I, I think her mom knew she was going to be there just knew well, that that was a thing and I would have had her but if they would have limited me to two people I was taking my birth photographer over my mother and I spent a lot of money on her like that's I 
wanted her and I wanted this thing documented. I still didn't get that part of the documentation. I got lots of other pictures um, that I'm really happy to have. But like when she caught her, I would have loved to have a picture of that. And I don't have one. And I have a picture of it. I'm I'm glad you do. (laughs) I'm glad your mental image you have and you've got to keep. But yeah, I just remember her handing me that baby and just looking at her looking at my wife and then looking at baby Atlas and I'm like, Oh, just making me take a picture and then making you take a picture. I'm like, Oh, you're done. Okay. Well I need a picture. But then after they did a very delayed cord clamping, like waited till the the cord stopped pulsing at all. Yeah. And then I cut the cord and it was very traditional in that manner. But yeah, getting to catch her was very exciting. And we got a tour of the placenta. That was cool. She held it up and showed us all of it. Um, she was like, you want to look at it? I was like, yeah, like, let's see what we're working with here. And she held it up and she tied the little, made the little heart in her cord so we could take a picture of that. Um, like a good midwife, all of the midwives do that. Haven't seen a doctor do it yet, but I feel like she was so excited to put her little heart and get the pictures. Like, like it made her day. And I also, and I don't know if it's because I'm older than Tori or I grew up in, in West Texas where it's even like smaller minded but i was so concerned with going to a religious hospital and their policy on same-sex parents because we were our in network is baptist and and growing up in small town texas and and being more butch it's just something that i think like tori wasn't worried about it at all and i was like i like those were questions i had for the midwife luckily it turns out our midwife uh uh was a lesbian so it, it worked out she had all the answers what other straight people might not think to think of because mm-hmm. uh, it hasn't come up, but um, it, it was really great. There was never any question about anything because no. not even when the birth certificate woman came because we brought our marriage license because we were like, we want her on the birth certificate because when you, we did a second parent adoption for Atlas anyway um, to make sure that everything was good because essentially lawyers can decide if we were to ever get a divorce, the lawyers get to, the, de- judge. the judge gets to decide whether or not her parentage, like that Sarah has any rights to Atlas or whatever. So, but we had took, taken our marriage license just in case they wouldn't put her name on the birth certificate. Cause you have to get it reissued and it's cheaper if you don't have to get the birth certificate reissued after the birth. And so that was fine. We're listed mother, mother on her birth certificate. Um, and that was not bad at all. The lady was like, I don't need to see your marriage license. I don't care. She was like, you're married? I was like, yeah. She was like, okay. She- Which I don't know why that has to be a thing. Like, well, I, I was don't just know. about to say that. Well, I don't, I don't. Why have to be married for it to be a thing, for it to be mother and mother? <laughs> that whole system is patriarch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we went through, and that just comes from. I think small town Texas is what it comes from is just doing all the legal all because I had asked because God forbid an emergency, right? I know that because we're married, I had rights to make decisions for Tori, but what if she wasn't able and then the hospital was like, no, you're not a birth parent. We need someone of blood relation to make decisions, you know? So those were the type of questions I had asked Mm -hmm. ahead of time. Well, yeah, stuff like, stuff like that just, it, it's more in case of emergency situations, right? Like, like I, I know that should something happen to Tori, I can make decisions. But, you know, say emergency section, they had to knock Tori out, baby's in distress. Are they going to let me make decisions? Am I going to be able to go into the NICU immediately? Or is someone going to have to sign for me that that's okay? That's those sort of questions. What kind of, do I get four full parental rights or are we going to have to, you know, do something ahead of time so that everyone knows so that they're not calling my mom for my mom to call her back and be like, okay, well her wife said to (laughs) like, to go ahead and do X, Y, and Z. Like, why are you calling me? She's right there. But we didn't have to deal with any of that thankfully. And the hospital was actually really friendly and kind and everybody was nice and we didn't deal with any issues at the hospital. And yeah, everything was good. Like there weren't any issues. Like, you know, you go in as the black mom, you're also thinking about all of that and all of the maternal mortality and people not listening to me. And, you know, our midwife, like she just really made me feel heard, especially when she, I complained about the blood pressure cuff because it goes off every 20 minutes. And she told them that I did not have high blood pressure and she was not worried about it. So to stop checking it, like, (laughs) please leave that lady alone with that blood pressure cuff. And 
like things like that. She just turned around and she's shutting the nurse down and she's like, leave her alone. And it, it was really nice. Like I would recommend her any day of the week. She's really good at what she does and she fights for you. And that's what you need as someone who's going to fight for you too. So you're not trying to fight for yourself so hard in the hospital. And you're, I was so concerned, like knowing I was going in with Pitocin, I, you know, you'd think about the cascade of interventions and I was like, here we go. Like, we're going to just try as hard as we can. And, you know, it is what it is. Babies come how they're supposed to. Um, how, however that means, you know, they get the help they need to get here and we'll do what we have to do. But I was hell bent on not having an epidural and I didn't get one. And, you know, thankfully it all worked out. But yeah, we asked lots of questions and we had more documentation than we needed to be in the hospital. But we had to be prepared because... Again, no one could come in the hospital either, and you couldn't leave. Well, they told you you couldn't leave. It turns out you can leave, but they don't tell you that. Like, you, the information is... And it was all going back and forth at that time, too. Mm-hmm. It was always changing, the, the information, what the hospitals were allowing and not allowing. So, Yeah, they had 86, no doulas, no, no nothing. It was, you get one support person, and that's it. And that's if you were COVID negative at the time. And then the room that had, they had turned the room with the birth tubs in them into COVID rooms um, for birthing people with COVID. And I was like, but I wanted that tub. I had planned. We weren't going to have a water birth, just so you know. Well, that you was on, have a water I know, birth but that was on my list of things we weren't having. It wasn't a birth. <laughs> because, because I said, because then you give birth and you're just laying in your funk. Just all of you are in it. So I said, I don't, we need to go to a hospital and we can't have a water birth. You can find a nurse midwife, but we can't have a water birth and it has to be at the hospital. Because she experienced all of the contractions and all of that. But we did go to the hospital and I didn't have a water birth. So I guess she got her way anyway. (laughs) A list of undeliverables. (laughs) Man. It all worked out. She had a she had a list though of the what I was not gonna have, and and we didn't have any of them. My wife's real crunchy. She would have just had a tub in the living room, just like what? No, and that would have been fine. <laughs> that would have been fine. Like that, we wouldn't have had to leave. I she wouldn't have, have fussed at the dogs the whole time. I sure would have. I would have been yelling at everybody, and it would have been fine. Everybody would have survived. Like. This. Instead, just our poor nurse got it. Oh, yeah. I, I was lighting into the her something real and then apologizing for it the whole time. Listen, <laughs> you in labor, it's your world. <laughs> <laughs> do what you got to do. Okay. <laughs> she would. She's like, can you just sit still? Can you just no. oh, ask me to lay on my back? And I thought that she was asking me like for my firstborn child. She was asking me for her. Like she was going to take her because I had to lay on my back. She's like, just for 20 minutes, like you've been off the monitors. I was like, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about any of this. We're good. I feel no, good. No, she didn't ask you to lay for 20 minutes. I mean, you might have heard. You, I don't know That's what you were hearing at that point. You probably thought the devil was coming up and talking to you, but um, you had been off the monitor for 20 minutes no, at that care. point and she needed you to lay for just a minute to get a heartbeat mm-hmm. and you weren't, you weren't there for it, not even for a minute, literally. Just... Talk about that for a second, though, because what that is, is them not having um, their charting. Right. And so right. and they have to that. record a birth and they have to mm-hmm. say, hey, what happened here? Oh, there was lots of patient <laughs> And they're like, it's easier for, right, it's easier for them to have that, mm-hmm. to tell it versus having to write it out or not having, not remembering what was going on. And so it can be very distracting to a birthing person um, as they're sitting there trying to help you do your job. Like, like I don't want to lay this way. The baby was fine. I want to lay this way because this is what we're working on right now. I'm like, well, I can't feel the baby and I can't hear the heartbeat. And you're like, maybe odds yeah, ever be in your favor. That's pretty much what happened. And that's pretty much what I told her. And so she was just chasing me around with these monitors. Cause I was like, um, well, I don't know what to tell you, lady. Like this, I'm not going to do that. And I did lay there because I got threatened, but 
um, because Sarah was like, it's for your baby. You have to do this for Atlas for just a minute. I just felt so bad for that nurse because there But I did not care about the nurse. I know, you didn't. Me and the baby had decided we were good. And (laughs) I I felt like if I did not feel a sense of doom, we were fine. If I felt good about it, that meant it was fine. And and that needed to be good enough for her documentation. (laughs) So she... (laughs) There was lots of patient refuses in my chart. Patient refuses to move. Like it was, I'm pretty sure that's in there. Just like that. Patient off monitors. Patient. I'm going to have you getting her reprimanded. I know it made her extra mad because the midwife came in and then the midwife was like, oh, she's fine. Just let her labor on the toilet. Because she wasn't hooked up to any monitors at that point. (laughs) And, And the midwife was completely fine with her laboring there and so i don't even know how long she went at that point oh that a long a time a long time because the telemonitors they weren't charged when i first got there and then they finally i told jenna that they were not charged because she i was like i want to get off of these and she said well we have monitors that move with you and i said they told me they aren't charged and she sent them on a witch hunt for them because i was tattling oh i was telling it all i was like oh, oh. yeah that's right they came up with those wireless they, ones they yeah. suddenly appeared in my room because I told her I was like they told me and she was like okay so she fixed that and then when I had to get back in that bed and I was fussing about that she was like oh she's fine she doesn't need her blood pressure she doesn't need it it's fine (laughs) so she actually it's in the chart too that Jenna sat with me in the bathroom for a long time of just sitting there the midwife sat in the bathroom and the nurse was wrote in the chart midwife in bathroom like that's why they're not (laughs) they're not on board no monitoring because they're all in the bathroom. And then I remember at one point too, there was, um, she was, the nurse was coming to mess with the Pitocin. And I said, no, 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 no. Oh, she was. I thought she was turning it up. She was turning it down and I didn't know. And I was fussing. Cause I was like, I don't want any more Pitocin. We have reached max level for my body. We are finished. Like, don't you come in here messing with anything. She was like, I'm turning it down. I was like, you better be turning it down. Like, get out of here. Like, hold on. As birth workers, Laurel and I love the toilet anyway. Because it's like, let that toilet do the work. Because your body, those, those pelvic muscle, muscles and bones just relax. And next thing you know, there's a baby. And we just don't want the baby in the toilet. She was gonna, I was just standing in the back just... No one could see how worried I was that that baby was coming out in the toilet, but I was back there real worried that a baby was going to be born in the toilet, just standing in the back because <laughs> she was facing the wall, the back wall, so no one could see. Sarah's like, y'all, somebody reassure me that we are good because <laughs> I'll just huddled in here. <laughs> and everyone- Right. Sarah said no water birth. Okay, she meant it. Toilet included. The toilet water birth. She would have lost it if that baby touched the toilet water. Uh, you never let that down. You never let that down. Like she had my baby in the bathroom. She made her touch toilet bowl. Hospital toilet bowl at that. Like the dirtiest toilet bowl. No, nah, that hospital toilet bowl is probably cleaner than ours. Oh, that's probably true. But I just think about what could have been in the toilet. I don't know. The hospital's gross. We we don't we don't need to have a baby in a toilet. It's okay. Uh, just you know, we didn't. <laughs> I was standing in the back, just real concerned. Like I would look like this. <laughs> we didn't have the baby in the toilet. It was all fine. But there are pictures. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, thank you so much for sharing (laughs) your journey. Seriously, thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to leave with listeners? Advice? um, Anything else from your birth? Just anything else you want to leave them with? No, I think definitely have your preferences and have a team that supports you. Because I think that that's what made this whole thing work for us just you know we we stuck to most of the preferences actually the only thing that I had that I didn't want was Pitocin um, but I couldn't control that and so it's just knowing that you can't control it and we just got to roll with what we're given and and the end at the end of the day the babies decide how they want to be born and we're just kind of tools to help them get here Um, and we were lucky knowing ahead of time that we were doing this so she spent a lot of time looking for an RE and the midwife clinic that she wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, We openly 
talked and, and I don't know if it's because we're both women or because I was more interested, but, you know, we were very open with each other about birth plans and my role and how much intervention she wanted and, and how much touching she wanted. And, and we, we went as far as talking about cues and, and understanding, you know, labor talk is not the real world. You know, like what happened in Vegas stays with Vegas and, and a yell to stop touching does not mean, cause at one point I didn't even realize I was like leaning on her leg and she snapped at me to let go of her leg. But it, it's talking about those things ahead of time and knowing like, it's, it's not personal. Like your, your body has taken over at that point. So uh, it helped that we did a lot of reading, a lot of talking and finding mm-hmm. doctors that are a midwife clinic, which she really, really liked. And everyone was very friendly. And I think people are all too often afraid to tell their doctors no, or that they don't like something and that it's okay to tell a doctor no, and even find a new doctor. Um, People are very afraid of that for some reason. The doctors see thousands of patients and nine times out of 10, they might be right. But if you know that you need something different, you need to advocate for yourself that, that you need something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was it. Like we just, it all worked out and just trust the process because it, it works and it's going to work itself out. They got to come out somehow. Somehow. That's <laughs> Um, but yeah, everything was good. But thank you so much for having us. Yes, a joy, a Thanks joy. For listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 